little different today. I'm going to give you first a a little vort, a little uh, the parsha, and then maybe I'll pass around the chumash, and everybody can read maybe a little piece, an insight from the Rebbe over here. Um, so there's something interesting in the very first uh, parsha. It says that the craftsmen. Who were the craftsmen? So the craftsmen also we had Betzalel. Betzalel, that was the name. Uh, he was from the tribe of Yehuda. He was actually a grandson of Miriam. Uh, he was like a very important from the tribes itself. The more important ones were uh, the ones that were from the actual wives versus the one that were from the Shemachas. So uh, he was one of the um, more important uh, tribes. And he was one of the craftsmen. But he also had a of ben He also had one of the less important tribes, the tribe of Don. Because that was from the concubine wives of Yaakov. He was born. Oh, but Miriam is wife of Aaron. Right? A sister. Sister? A sister of Aaron. What is his wife was who was uh, put on? That's Aaron. Aaron was the Aaron was the Aaron's Rabbi. wife was Elisheva Basaminodov, and Miriam's wife was Chur. Calling uh, uh, Miriam. She was sent out. Chur was her son. Yes, yes. When she was sent out from the community, she was spelling out. Yeah, Tzipora. Zipporah, Moshe's Rabbeinu's wife, because uh, Miriam was saying bad yeah, at the yeah, time, yeah, from, uh, because she said, yeah, woe to these women, because yeah. my husband is separated from me uh-huh. since the time that, uh, you know, he's been, God has been visiting him. But in any event, um, so it's, it's interesting just to know that Hashem Rashi points out that God had one of the most important of the tribes, as well as one of the most insignificant of the tribes, and they both were the craftsmen. They built the uh, they built the mishka, and so finally, in the end of this in in this parsha, they are finishing up the subject. It says, "Betzalel built everything according to what God told Moshe. He built everything the way God told Moshe." But wait a minute, how did Betzalel know what God told Moshe? It should say, Betzalel built everything as Moshe told him. Because God spoke to Moshe, and Moshe spoke to Betzalel. So it would seem more fitting for Betzalel, to, to, for, for the Pasuk to say, that Betzalel did everything according to the instruction that Moshe instructed him. So Rashi makes a point of this. And Rashi says, you know, that Betzalel even did certain things not the way he was told by Moshe. What? So Rashi brings an example. Rashi says, Moshe Rabbeinu told him that first he should construct the vessels of the Beis Amikdosh. What was the vessels? 
the menorah, the shulchan, the arin, and then to build the structure. That's what Moshe Rabbeinu told Betzalel. But Betzalel says, well, that's not the way usually people construct buildings. He says, first, they build the building because if they're going to build the, 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 the vessels, the, the various different kinds of uh, things they use in the base Amigdosh, where are we going to put them? There's nowhere to put them because there's no base Amigdosh. There's no Mishkan. There's no structure. It has to go the other way around. It has to be first that you have to build the Mishkan. And then you put the vessels, you put them into the Mishkan. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, you know what, you're right. That's actually what God told me. And I sort of told you wrong. God told me to first construct the Mishkan and then to construct the um, and then to construct the vessels. And he says to him, Bitzalel. Bitzalel means in the shadow of God, Bitzel Kale. He says, You are in the shadow of God, which means even things that you weren't told, you figured out on your own. But of course, he didn't go and act on his own. He waited, he sort of told Moshe, that's not the right way to do it. I mean, if you want me to do it that way, I'm going to do it that way. But he told him that's not the right way to do it. Um, and, you know, there may have been other things also, we don't know. There is some, con- you know, in the, in the Pasuk itself, in the Psukim, if you read, it's not so clear, like in the Parshish Truma, that is where God is speaking to Moshe. We have a record, God says to Moshe. So over there, actually, we find that first God tells him about the kalim, the vessels, at least the most of the vessels, and then he tells him about the structure. And that's God's words to Moshe. And in Moshe's words to Betzalel, he actually tells him first the Mishkan and then the vessels. And Rashi reviews it. Rashi says that when God said to Mo, that he agreed that that's what God said, but that's not what we find in our Pasuk. But what I wanted to make an observation over here, um, it says everything after they said everything, after they did everything. Um, it says they made, it says, so it's, it seems quite clearly, I mean, I'm just thinking out loud, it says quite clearly in the end of the Pasha. So it says that they brought the Mishkan to Moshe, and they brought all the Ohel and all the Kalim. They brought it all to Moshe Rabbeinu. And Rashi explains over here um, that they, the reason they brought it all to Moshe Rabbeinu because they had a difficulty. They couldn't, the, the Mishkan was so heavy um, that they couldn't lift it. They couldn't pick it up. So but they never lifted the whole thing at once. That's right. So they brought her all pieces. They brought all the pieces. They brought to Moshe Rabbeinu. And they said to Moshe Rabbeinu, listen, you lifted. The Rashi says, now, 
God specifically left this for Moshe Rabbeinu because Moshe didn't do anything physically for the Mishkan. So God left the actual erecting for him, Rashi says. Uh, and Moshe says, Take, how could one person lift such a structure like a once? You know, it seems impossible. But not only that, it was on, there was no floor. Like, he, is he supposed to lift each thing individually? Yeah, no, but they were with brichim, with, with the sockets. I mean, they were ways, and they were connected. It was around, but the floor was a floor. So what? So why? Why are you asking about the floor? Because you saying lift the mishkan? What do you lift? No, lift, lift. You know, take the, the walls and, and pick them up okay. to to stand them up. I guess you can construct a wall on the floor, and maybe you can even construct a, a box on the floor. You know, lying on its side, or maybe four different sides. But then it comes a point when it's all connected that you got to lift it up. Maybe it wasn't full at all at that time. Maybe it was ground. It was on the ground. On the ground. And now you got to raise it up. That, that, that's what's exactly what we're talking about. Uh, and, and Moshe Rabbeinu said, how could I, you know, it's a big structure. How am I going <clears> to... <throat> and Hashem said to him, and it looked like maybe if there were a few people together, they can do it. But it was Moshe, Hashem, Hashem left it for Moshe to do it on his own. How could one person lift up you know, ten each one was ten amas high and big structure. How could he do it? So Hashem said to him, "You pretend like you're living, lifting it up, and I'm going to. It's going to stand up by itself." And this is an interesting thing, you know, which we find um, um, the, the midrash tells us about uh, a person who was very poor, and but he had a you know, very, uh, this great desire, a burning, yearning desire to bring a gift for the, uh, for the Beis HaMikdosh. But he couldn't afford much, but he saw that there was this beautiful cut-out marble rock or whatever. It was something very nice, which was basically, I guess, free. It was in the street. It wasn't anybody's. But he didn't have the money to have workers go ahead and carry that uh, rock into the base of English because that would be a beautiful gift. But he couldn't pay the workers. He didn't have any money to pay them to do the job for him. So then uh, Hashem says to him, through a voice came to him, he says to him, you know what? You pretend and you pick up. And, you know, the angels will carry it for you. But you have to give, you know, your, your finger. So the Rebbe points from this, it speaks about, well, the, the person really didn't do anything, you know, by just giving a finger, uh, or an etzbaktana, even a small finger, that didn't help anything, but Hashem wants you to participate also physically. So, well, Hashem will carry the rest of the load, He will He will take care of it, but He wants you to do something about it too, you need to participate, you need to be part of it. So I guess with Moshe Rabbeinu too, even though it was appeared like he was lifting it, but he had we needed that appearance. We needed that part to actually take place. But what I what I was wondering, and I'm just throwing out the question of it, was wondering um, it, since the Mishkan was not put together or stood up until Moshe Rabbeinu put it up. That seems quite clearly. 
it also seems quite clearly that all the vessels were done. So where were the vessels? So the vessels were all done already. And it's only after that that he... It might be a question where they were kept, but I'm a little bit... So, first of all, you know, just just examining what Rashi says over here, um, it doesn't seem to be such a brainstorm to figure out that you first built the house like 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 Betzalel said. It wasn't something. Oh, he says Betzel Kelo Yiso. You know, uh, doesn't seem like Betzalel really had to use. He was talking about a craftsman who can built this intricate menorahs and the and the shulchan all these kind of craftsmen for him to figure out that you have to first build the uh, the building and then you put the vessels in and Moshe Rabbeinu says to him oh B'tzalel B'tzel Kel you were there when Hashem said I mean, it seems you know pretty mundane I mean it doesn't seem to be such a big deal it's pretty dumb. and but yet he gives him a lot of credit uh, I would guess that this is what we have a record of. The Medrash says so. We have sources for this. Maybe there were other things also that B'tzalel was able to figure out, and maybe they were a little bit more complex. But what's really um, surprising to me, uh, actually his conclusion didn't actually work that way. So Moshe Rebbe said, well, that's what God told me. But his reasoning wasn't actually, didn't seem to be holding, because the reasoning was so that you put the vessels in where they're holding, in, into the place of the Mishkan. But that's not a, 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 a what actually happened. It seems like the Mish, everything was built, and then they brought it to Moshe Rabbeinu, and then he put it on, then they put in the vessels. So anyways, they didn't have where to put the vessels. The vessels were hanging around, whatever they did with them. So his argument to Moshe Rabbeinu actually didn't hold because they didn't they didn't put into the the vessel. And and maybe this is perso- this is actually what the shot is. This is what the the interpretation is. Since the reason Bitsalil figured it out was because he used logic. But that really wasn't God's intent because the 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 vessels did not actually end up in the Mishkan before. They had, the vessels must be hanging around by themselves. But that wasn't the good. That's what he told me. But Tzelkelo Yisa, which means you came to it from a rational point. But that's actually what I heard from God. But not for your reasoning. And that's why it's so uh, amazing because um, even though, so what happens is he told him to build the Mishkan first. And then build the vessels. But guess what? The vessels did not go in the Mishkan until later on anyways. So that's what the Abishta told me. To first build the Zedim. That's what the Abishta told me. To first build the Mishkan and then build the vessels. But it's not actually for his reasoning. It's for another reasoning. It's whatever. That's what the Abishta wanted to happen. Which also is, 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 is something which the... Um, the Rebbe speaks about in the Torah. Or this whole... Uh, things when we talk about the vessels versus the structure, it also can be uh, resembling and corresponding to Torah and mitzvahs. While Torah is more considered like a keli inside, because the Torah you sort of absorb, you understand, you use your intellect, it's something which comes in the inside of you, 
mitzvot are more like garments. They're levushim. They're like outside. They are like the structure. They're encompassing around you. Um, now what comes first? The Torah or the mitzvahs? There is uh, advantages to Torah and there's advantages to mitzvahs. So there's advantages to both. Which would come first before the other things? But there are mitzvot in the Torah. Yeah, the mitzvahs come from the Torah and studying Torah is a mitzvah too. So that's as we learned this morning, that studying Torah is a mitzvah. And actually a mitzvah to study all the time. But um, I guess the, the, uh, the whole idea over here is really what is this very, very strong message that Moshe Rabbeinu, the Torah writes in the... So what do we have? What do we, why do we, what do we need to know all this? I think it teaches us the tremendous humility of Moshe Rabbeinu of being able to admit and to tell Betzalel, uh, yeah, you know what, you're right. Even though Moshe Rabbeinu was the leader and Moshe Rabbeinu told him how to do everything, he didn't try to defend what he said. He didn't try to um, uh, stick to his guns, and even though he said it. But he sort of said, you know what, you're right, you know. Uh, you have a good point, and uh, I accept that. And I think that's the purpose of that he says. Betzalel told him that he did like Hashem. It's not so much to tell us about Betzalel's greatness, but actually to tell us about Moshe's humility of being able to accept it and to tell him. Now, sometimes there's also uh, a way of admitting something. Uh, just okay, you know, and sometimes there's a way of actually making the other person not only admitting but also saying, but sell kill, you know, that's your name, that you were in the shadow of God. And um, certainly, um, if a person makes does make a mistake and is wrong, he should be able to, uh, you know, fess up and say, you know, I made a mistake and that's it. Even somebody like Mushrabayna did that. Um, but we see, in a way, that Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't really wrong in this essence, because even though Hashem wanted him to build the Mishkan first, but he still, um, not for the reason that, like I said, it doesn't seem like for the reason, like uh, Betzal said, because they didn't put the Kalim into the vessel. They only stood it up later. Um, but Hashem it? gave Moshe a reward, perhaps for that, that he should stand up the Mishkan, because Moshe Rabbeinu sort of almost uh, declared that they could stand up the Mishkan without him, before him. And Hashem knows says, that's going to be your mitzvah. And because it was his mitzvah, it had to be done the last thing. That was the last part. Rashi says he didn't participate at all in the Mishkan, so God sort of left him. This was the last chance. It also fits a little bit of what we learned last week with Nesim, that they waited for the end. They said, let everybody do whatever they do. Well, that, so then the question actually becomes, how come Moshe didn't do anything for the uh, raising of the Mishkan? But it wasn't, how, it wasn't like the gifts, for example. Now all the people, the Moshe Rabbeinu you know did not contribute. Did? How do you know Moshe didn't contribute? No, because Rashi says over here, Moshe Shum Melacha B'Mishkan. Now, maybe Rashi means over here the physical work in the Mishkan. 
But usually the term malacha is called of the bringing of the gifts. Mm. is also called the malacha. That's part of the work that was necessary for the Mishkan. It almost implies that he didn't do that, but maybe you're talking about, even if we should say that he didn't do any physical work. And the interesting thing is, the, when God addresses it to Moshe, he always tells, you shall make, you shall make. The Rebbe points out it seems to make it in a singular way, God says to him, in a singular way. Uh, which means, God doesn't say built, you built for me, but individually. So it was somehow Moshe Rabbeinus. But the question becomes, just like the leaders, as far as gifts goes, uh, they were the end. So why would Moshe Rabbeinu wait, if the, even for work, let's say, to do something, some work, to be there in the Mishkan while they were working there, why would Moshe Rabbeinu not, not uh, wait, wait for the end? But it, and also it seems like that he did okay, because Rashi says, God sort of left him. Since he didn't do, and maybe, again, I, I'm going to suggest that Moshe Rabbeinu was always letting somebody else go ahead of him, even though he was Moshe Rabbeinu. Just like he was telling Betzalel, you were right, he was telling him, Moshe Rabbeinu was such a leader that he never took anything for himself. So, if the... Uh, if there was another person that can do it, he said, okay, you, got, you can do it, you can participate. He allowed everybody to participate. But Hashem wanted to leave something for him. He should leave in Niach. He should know that Hashem left it for him because Hashem, so that's why Hashem made it that nobody should be able to pick it up. So they have to come out to him. So there was no choice. So, you know, he, 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 he left it for him so that he should uh, have to do it. But, uh, but I have a question. Like, if you look at all of this, first of all, you look at, he's a leader. Our leaders, leaders are directors. They encourage, they inspire, they tell everybody what to do. Does it mean the leader needs to do it too? Like, if the Rebbe would do they take send themselves? out his he would send out his shluchim, and he would tell everybody to go. But the Rebbe had a different role. He had a different job. Had a different but role, the Rebbe a worked, job. labored very hard. And as we're learning in the morning letters, the Rebbe was a fundraiser. The Rebbe was uh, the Rebbe did everything. That's right, but in a different capacity. So like Moshe yeah, Rebbe was like in a in a different capacity. His role was a different. But and Hashem at, apparently wanted to do. But also. I say, look at the sensitivity of Hashem. Hashem is saying, I'm going to make sure that even though you didn't do the physical work, I'm going to make sure to include you in something to do in the Mishkan because you are the leader, you inspired, you told him. Hashem left him a job. Well, I think the job is that he had to listen to God about how to build the Mishkan. And he told that, I would think, to Betzalel and Aholiab and, and, and the builders, right? Because yeah. God told Moshe. But at the end, yeah. Hashem needs him a job to lift the Mishkan. That's another job. Yeah, but he left, Hashem sort of left it like, Left it, he gave him because it looks like he gave everything away and Hashem left it to him. So Hashem says, it's like, you know, let's say you're busy cleaning and working and preparing and then you go tell your children, you go set the table. I want you to feel like you're You're also, you're included. You're included. No, Hashem left him. So there's the story. The thing with our marriage, we were talking about. The story, like I like to tell the story about, this was after the Second World War. And we're talking about, Sarah says she's skipping straight to Pesach. So this was after the Second World War. And many great rabbis 
from Poland narrowly escaped with their lives. They've lost all their families. They lost children, wives, everything, all the relatives. They lost thousands of Hasidim. They lost, you know, everything. They were totally devastated and totally uh, in pain. And yet the war is over. And now people are trying to get the remnants of their lives together, you know, start over again. And, um, and this was in the DP camps, in the displaced person camps. So there was a um, many rabbis that were in those camps, you know, you know, just just out of the um, you know of Germany of the Nazis. All they were just they were just liberated. They were totally broken and they were totally um, uh, shattered. Their lives were totally shattered. No, then Pesach is coming around. So the people that were helping them, they provided matzah for Seder, for Pesach, they provided matzah. But Hasidim and uh, Rebbe's, they want to eat shmura matzah. They don't want to eat regular matzah. But, you know, under the circumstances when uh, you don't have the possibility and things are difficult, you use, uh, you know, regular matzah if you can't get shmura matzah. But... Certainly, hand baked shmura matzah. Somehow, one of the rebbe's over there laid his hand on a primitive oven, and they got some flour that was washed from the time of cutting. They, with all the small, on the very small, and pretty, pretty fast, word spreads that the, this Rebbe uh, has matzahs baked, hand-baked, with all the hitters, with all the perfections, it's beautiful matzahs. And clearly, uh, only um, two matzahs per, per family, that's it, because there's just very few. So then one of the... Um, uh, the rabbis, all the rabbis came and he gave everybody two matzahs and one of the rabbis came and he gave him the regular two matzahs in half an hour he comes back and he said my father this was his son-in-law his son he says my father asked if it's at all possible to get two extra matzahs no, he was a big rabbi and he was a very important man and then he gave him the two extra matzahs and so it came, you know, this was like a couple of weeks before Pesach, and then it come now. Now it's Erev Pesach. That same fellow that had asked for the extra two matzahs comes back to the rabbi. He says, Rabbi, please let me know. Maybe there is still two extra matzahs. Two extra. And, and the rabbi says, you know what? He says, my father is asking, my father is asking, if there's extra two months. He says, you know what, I'm really very, very sorry. But I gave out, all the months were giving out. Matter of fact, the Rebbe said, I actually gave away my own two months, I gave away as well, I gave it away. And then the rabbi comes out and he says, well, he takes out those two months. He says, my father-in-law sent you the two matzah. He knew that you weren't going to leave for yourself. 
the matzahs. So he wanted to make sure that you two are going to have matzahs for the Seder. Mm-hmm. So he goes and gives him the matzah, so he should also have matzah for Seder. This was Moshe Rabbeinu, when you think about it, this is a uh, people, how they can, uh, after such hardship, still be at a level of being able to care so much about others, give up on themselves and the other people to be tuned in to give them. So Moshe Rabbeinu was in the level of, he didn't leave for himself anything. He said, you know what, everybody was pushing to do, those who wanted to be a part and those who wanted to be, uh, you know, he led everybody. So he actually didn't leave anything for himself. And that's why God says, God left him. God says, no, you know what? I'm going to leave you something so that you can actually be part of this because I want you to be part of it. And that's, and um, so perhaps this is the way this whole thing plays out. That first Moshe Rabbeinu says, you know what? You knew you were B'tzal Kale, you know? And then Hashem says, no, no, I'm going to reward you. You're going to end up putting up the Mishkan. It almost seems like Putting up the Mishkan is equivalent to everything because, first of all, it's the Mishkan, but now you can actually bring the vessels in there because without the Mishkan, you can't bring the vessels as we discussed. So, this is uh, really a, a, a very it's important not, part. It's setting it up, yeah. not just picking it up. It's, he set up. Then later on, there's a separate thing about this is actually picking it up, and then there is later setting it up. But I think that's a good lesson like sensitivity, like you say, Hashem to Moshe. You know, like, you weren't included, you didn't have a job, you didn't have any part physically doing. Yeah. It's also a lot like what you said last week, you said that they, when they were united, it wasn't just in their thought and in their speech, it had to come down to action. Mm-hmm. So here you have Moshe Rabbeinu really having to be in a position of action. Mm-hmm. And his action is doing was to pick it up. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, well, what we learned is like the other part of the Medrash that which says that you have to put at least your, your small finger. Mm-hmm. Which means that we have to understand that we actually, whatever happens in our lives, or whether our success, our uh, accomplishments, we have to know that it's actually Hashem. We're only like the little finger over there. We're just doing a little bit to help Hashem out, you know, you know, like the person who was always praying to God that he wants to be a millionaire and never didn't uh, finally hears a voice from him. He says, buy a lottery ticket, you know. <laughs> so you got to do that little finger. You got to buy the ticket, you know, <laughs> at least if you buy the ticket, then God will give you the blessing. But if you're not going to buy the ticket, so what's going to happen? You know, then you want God to do everything. You don't even want to give him the small finger. So, but the point is, what you have to realize, and talking about uh, Purim, uh, the miracle. So while we sent Esther in there, and uh, we did things in a natural way, she invited the king, she got him uh, nervous about, uh, you know, that she's having an affair with Haman, and this and that, you know, she, she got him. <coughs> so... That's only a small part. That's the Ezba Katana. That's the small thing that led to the miracle. But the main thing that led to the miracle was the fact that the Jewish people turned to Hashem and they 
um, let go of their bad behavior and they did teshuva and they turned to Hashem so the most important part of all this was actually their turning to Hashem returning and becoming strong again in Torah Mitzvah so that's important to remember there is a um, an expression that the well, there were some of the Levites uh, would carry the Aron it says Noises Noisef he would actually carry those who carry him. So while you might think you're carrying the Oren, the Oren was actually carrying those people that were carrying the Oren. He was carrying those carriers. So while <coughs> we sometimes think in our head that we're giving or we're doing and we're carrying and we're then, actually you're being carried. You know, you know your, 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 your participation is really a very small piece of it. I mean, it's basically mostly comes from Hashem. The problem is that it comes down in a hidden way, just like with Esther, it came down in a disguised way, in a blocked way, so that we don't see it openly with our eyes. We can't see how this is actually Hashem's doing, and we sometimes start to think that it's, um, that it's not, it's nature, it's just it's happening, and that's... And that's uh, that's not a good, uh, good thing. So, that's what's purpose. Yeah, go ahead. We learned about the Aron being carried in a very childlike way when Ben and Hani, I think, were in kindergarten. It was perm time, and they were in costume. I think Menucha Ben David had given Ben like a Kohen Hakadol, <coughs> and he and another boy had these two poles. And I remember that. Yeah, now that you're talking about it, I can't believe you remember that. And they carried the simulation oh. on on their shoulders with the poles on their shoulders, and they walked in the parade, the porn parade that we had at Hamas. But that's like a big lesson. Like we forget that we're really carried in our life. We think that we're smart, we're talented, we have all the things that we do, and really, it's you know we're lucky when we can feel that we're being carried in the same place. That's right, yeah.